Wild Loner, a sentimentally comedic podcast. Well, hello there, Josh. My good old pal Josh is back with me today. You're here with Jenna on Wild Loner, and we are freaking stoked for this third episode. Heck yeah, we are. How you doing, Jenna? I am doing tip-toppity tippity. <laughs> I'm in tip-top shape. I'm in tip-top form. Nothing could be tippier than the top of my head. <laughs> well, uh, I guess you can't do much better than that, so I'm there. Awesome. I like and it. how are you? How are you? I am doing fantastic. Yeah, everything's good. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, you don't sound like you're sick at all, so everything's going well. You don't have COVID. No COVID. Neither do I. Nope. So everything's good in our world. Yeah. So um, as we mentioned um, to one person who queried, uh, Josh and I don't previously talk about what we're going to discuss prior to our discussion, because I think we think that's a little bit more organic. And I always want to have um, Josh's reactions to the weird shit I say, um, opposed to something that's formulated. So I know I like it. I love it. speak for Josh. Yeah. You like it too? <laughs> yeah. I'm always excited to hear what you're going to tell me next. You know, I wish I'd recorded okay, all good. our conversations over the years. I know, because some of those are some of the things that I wish I could say on this podcast. I can't because they are too R rated. And I think that other people that were involved would be mad at me. Yeah. So we'll keep it, we'll keep it as far as we can take it. <laughs> so um today, Josh and whoever might be listening today. I wanted to tell a little story, um, a little background about how I grew up and where I grew up and some of the shenanigans that occurred while I grew up. So as many of you know, or some of you know, and Josh knows, I'm from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, which is on Lake Superior, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And funny story too, I don't know why every time, every episode, I have to like reference one thing from Below Deck, but in the very first interview I had for for Below Deck, they said, so Jenna, tell us where you're from, what it's like there. And I was like, uh, I don't know, it's like this place, like it's like filled with hicks and like everyone rides (laughs) snow machines, but there's also like doctors and lawyers and there's just like this mix of everyone. And then I was like, shit, oh my God, I've embarrassed my community. I can't believe I said that. And I called my mom after and my mom was like, well, you just need to be very cautious about what you say in the future, Jenna. You can't be insulting where you come from. Is that what she sounds like? But then it, yeah, it is. That is my mom's voice. Um, when she's like kind of mad. Um, but the funny part is, um, when I did come back and I said, Oh my God. And I said this, everyone was like, well, that pretty much sums it up. And, uh, it is a mixture because there's, you know, there's a lot of fishing there's a lot of hunting. Um, there's a lot of what we call camp, which is going to a cottage, but I think we call it a camp because sometimes there's no electricity. Sometimes there is, sometimes it's in the middle of nowhere. And that's where I grew up, uh, in this camp that was on a place called Trout Lake. And you had to drive to the train station. You had to take a train out to this lake, and then you had to take a boat across the lake to get to our camp. And it was in this little bay and, uh, there was no electricity, There was an outhouse. uh, There was lots of wildlife. And uh, I'd have to say that I was a little bit of a wimp when I was growing up. And 
part of the story is that um, my parents divorced when I was four. And my dad, I think, uh, was very concerned that he had two girls, myself and my sister. Uh, My sister's name's Lauren. And he was very concerned that This is just my perception as well. I never actually had this conversation with him, but I'm pretty sure this was accurate. He was very worried that we might become um, too... uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. We wouldn't be tough enough tough enough growing up with just my mom because my mom was like oh yes play with barbies we're gonna watch um little house on the prairie on the weekends and we're gonna make apple pies and my dad was like when you're here you're gonna shoot um squirrels we're gonna catch bats at night we're gonna shit in the outhouse (laughs) and uh we're gonna catch mice and we're not gonna cry about it and Of course, I cried about all of those things because I was terrified of those things. And one of those things that I was terrified of were bears. And uh, so, you know, and and being that this cabin was so isolated, if a bear, if you ran into a bear and uh, the bear got mad, chances are pretty good that if you got attacked, you would die because maybe the bear wouldn't kill you but there would be no chance of getting to a hospital in time to save you. Whoa. <laughs> so, so I don't know. These are all the things that went through my mind when I was growing up there. So I remember one day too, we were, um, or I, I was playing uh, like building a fort and I lift up the, lifted up these cushions from the couch and there was a dead mouse there and I screamed and, and I'm quite certain my dad put that mouse there. And he did these things, again, I think, to toughen me up. But I think it did the opposite, and it just made me, like, terrified of everything. Another thing he did... Oh, yeah. And sorry, a side note. There's two theories that I have. One is that he did all of this to toughen us up. And the other theory, which might be more accurate, is that he did it for his own entertainment. Mm, Wish he had boys. (laughs) (laughs) Because another thing he did was we would go on the back of the boat and we would go on this little tube. And this this lake wasn't like a beautiful, luxurious lake. It wasn't where like everyone had cottages and they're like, hey, Susan, are you coming by with um, Arnold Palmer's later? This was not this kind of lake. This was, uh, you know, there was like six cabins there. Everyone kind of talked like, hey, fuck, what's up? You're going to come have a beer later or what's the deal? That's how everyone talked in the lake. <laughs> And, uh, and so on this one side of the lake, there was this like very marshy area and there were like a a whole bunch of trees that had collapsed into that water and there were lily pads everywhere. And have you ever seen that scene in the water where you like, you know, on a, on a murky lake, if you've cruised over like in a canoe or something, I don't know, have your experience with canoes? I don't know what your upbringing was like, but I... Yeah, I was well. raised on a canoe. I was basically <laughs> born in a canoe. I have owned <laughs> canoes in the past. Okay. Well, anyway, if you go over that kind of uh, part of the lake and you can see down to the bottom because it's clear enough that you can see all the the gross, murky stuff. And that's like the scenes in a murder movie where you, you're there and then all of a sudden you see like a head that's all like, you know, right. um, rotted out and... And you're like, murder. Anyway, so my dad would pull us in this tube and he would purposely, 
Yeah, Cape Fear. Thank Cape Fear. Robert De Niro. Ah! Anyway, so um, my dad would whip us off of this tube and leave us in that murky area and pretend that he was having motor problems and be like, oh, no, I can't seem to get back. I, I can't make it back in time. And we'd be like, dad, no, which sounds like child abuse. But I'm just going to say it was <laughs> him toughening his ass up. Tough and love. Boy, am I tough. Let me tell you. And so um, anyway, extended onto this toughening up circumstance uh, one night, so my dad was married after my mom and she, uh, my, my stepmom, her name was Joan, lovely woman, love Joan. She had three kids who I loved as well. And, uh, there were two girls and a boy and, um, we all shared this back cabin room with bunk beds. And on that particular evening, I was sharing a bunk bed with my stepsister, Lori. And prior to us going to bed, my dad called me to the back deck which was attached to the back bedroom and said, oh my God, Jenna, look at this. There's baby bear prints leading to your room. And I was like, oh my God. And he was like, do you know what that means? And I was like, no. And he said, well, it means that if there's a baby bear cover on, there's probably a mom and you better sleep tight because you never know. She might come in here. Who knows what mama bears are capable of, but they could hurt you. So just, you know, good night. Have a safe sleep. And I was like, never showed fear around my dad. I was just in my mind was like, holy shit, I'm probably going to die tonight. So I laid in bed and I was never a kid who peed the bed or anything like that. Nothing against the kids who did, but it just never happened to me. And I went to bed. sound very believable. No. <laughs> well, because of what I'm about to tell you, Josh. So <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night and I was wearing jogging pants that had uh, an elasticized bottom and an elasticized waist. And I had never shit so much diarrhea in my life. And my whole pants were full of shit. And I woke up and I was mortified. Like, oh my God, I fucking shit my pants. So I was like probably eight or eight years old or something at the time. (laughs) And then I was like, oh God, I've got to get it. Like, you know, you're like, game planning like what do I do next I've got to get out of bed I've got to fucking clean this shit up so I start getting out of the top bunk holding the bottoms of my pants and then my my siblings are all like yuck what stinks and then uh somebody says Jenna shit her pants she's afraid of bears (laughs) and I'm like fuck fuck so then uh the, the only option really well I don't even really know what the option is I guess the logical option would be to like go to the lake and rinse yourself off but i was definitely not going to do that in the pitch black and again think like there's nothing around there's no lights or anything so i go into my dad's cabin and i try to wake him up and i say dad you know i've pooed my pants um can you come help me (laughs) to which my dad responded just go to the fucking outhouse and take care of business and i was like dad no please like i really i'm i'm quite frightened i don't know what to do and he was like just if you're that scared, take the shotgun. It's in the hallway and go to the outhouse. So imagine like telling an eight-year-old child to take a shotgun, which I didn't know how to shoot at the time. I don't know now either. And pants um, full of shit. Yeah, and my pants are full of shit. Like, like I have such a visual of me like going, okay, I guess I'll take the shotgun and like traipsing to the fucking outhouse, which was like, you know, <laughs> a solid. I'm not really good with 
um, feet or meters, say it was like a thousand feet away from the cabin. So I'm like traipsing through there with like poo seeping through my pants and dripping all over the ground. And then a bear approaches me and then I just try to like whack it with the rifle like it's a bat or something. Because obviously I don't know what to do because I'm eight. (laughs) So that was a good time. Um, And then the next morning, my dad uh, was like, Everyone was making fun of me and laughing. And then he said, make sure you go down to the lake and wash out those pants. We can't have you sent back to your mom with without those, you know, high quality fucking, I don't know what your, like, low quality stores are. Well, in uh, America, we would say Zellers or Byway. What would be your store? Meyer? Oh, God, we'd probably be uh, TJ Maxx or TJ Maxx. Ross, Ross Dress for Less, maybe Marshalls. Yeah, it was like, you know, they weren't that expensive, so it wasn't it wasn't going to uh it wasn't going to ruin anyone's lives if I didn't bring the shit pants home with me, is what I'm saying. So um I threw them on the fire and they burned. <laughs> <laughs> Smells so lovely. Oh, it was a good time. And everyone ridiculed me and it was a good old time. But and probably like six months later, they all forgot about it, I'm sure. Well, no one even cared. And I went home and my mom was like, you know, so it, to give you an idea. I'm just kidding. They remember that shit today. Oh, they remember like, they remember me <laughs> shitting my pants. They don't remember the jogging pants that I was wearing because they didn't really okay, mean gotcha. much. Um, those were just known as shit pants. And uh, for years, obviously, I had the yes, nickname of, be. I had the nickname of shit pants, McGilfrey and stuff like that. Nice. So. Um, so yeah, to, to give you an idea also, my parents were quite different. I'd say they, my mom, my mom did grow up in the bush to, um, to Austrian and Dutch parents who were pretty hardcore, but she was not hardcore. She was, um, a little bit of a press. And then my dad, what's that? Oh, sorry. I said she was probably soft core. <laughs> what was that, Josh? No, no, I was trying to say it under my breath. Uh, <laughs> oh, about the microphone. She's listening to this and she doesn't like that kind of thing. Actually, she probably wouldn't even get that. So hey, don't mom. worry, mom. We're just talking about pizza crusts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, so my and my dad grew up quite poverty stricken and um he he knew the streets well, so he he did try to make us um, lef- less of a press and more of a street savvy kids. Um, so we're somewhere in between. Um, but yeah, that is kind of how he raised us. But it was funny because if ever there was a time that I cried in front of my dad, it was like uh, he just didn't know what to do. And so I I learned not to cry in front of him because his response was typically like, well, what the fuck's happening? What do I do? And actually, come to think of it, as I've grown older in my relationships, most of the men I date have the same response. Now, is that because all men are like that or I'm choosing to date men like my father? It's probably the latter. (laughs) Wow. In every episode, it turns out I realize I'm a little bit more messed up than I thought I was. (laughs) (laughs) I shit my pants. I date people like my dad. It's the Freudian stuff. 
But, um, you know, that, that can be changed. I could date somebody nice. There's still hope. I don't know. There's still we'll hope. <laughs> There's definitely hope. There's always hope. There is always hope. Um, so another story I had um, kind of on the same kind of vein of things was that, <laughs> well, they're, they're stories about my dad. So an, oh, okay. a, another time we... Uh, I was like, you shit your pants twice? <laughs> Well, actually, I did. <laughs> if you want me to segue into one other no. story. No, I will, actually, because this one so is sorry, a good sorry. one. You have to hear it because it's too good not to. And there will be no, – I don't. I can't see another time that this will come up. And I know that I'm not helping my case in finding somebody who's going to want to date me <laughs> when I tell two stories of me pooing my pants. But this one's a good one. Okay, so for anyone who knows Vancouver, there's like – um, uh, it's called the sea wall and it's uh, a wall that goes around the sea and uh, you can walk all around it. You can ride your bike, you can skateboard, you can hold hands with somebody and have romantic walks. Um, and then there's a little bit of a bush part and then there's little beaches that you see along the way. So when I lived there, I went on a walk solo one day and as I was walking, um, I started feeling that familiar feeling of uh, a rumble in the tum-tum. And I, I felt quite nervous that I might explode. It was the same jogging pant situation, but minus any fear of the bear, this was something I had eaten that had not gone well with me. Okay, I'm going into specific details that are not necessary. Right, anyway. Probably a little higher quality than your previous pants too. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. I was probably wearing very expensive jeans at the time, but I was not concerned about the jeans. I was more concerned about taking a deuce in front of the hundreds of people that were passing by on the seawall. So I thought to myself, oh my gosh, okay, if I just make it to this next beach, there's a public washroom there. So I'll just hightail it there. I'll make it. Everything will be fine. So I start walking at a faster pace. Um, I eventually get to this bathroom, use the bathroom, think, oh my God, thank goodness I made it. Um, that's done. Um, now, can I make it all the way back? Because it's about 45 minutes back to my house. Is everything clear? And I I felt for sure it was. So I continued on the walk. And when I was about midway back, um, so too far really to go back to the original. Well, either I had two options. I could go back to the bathroom or I could go to my house. Either way, I was fucked. And um <laughs> I thought, okay, just keep going for your house, start getting a little bit faster. And it was at the point where I was like, I had headphones on, I was listening to music, whipped the headphones off. I was like, fuck it, I can't even concentrate on music. I need to purely think about not letting this happen. And then it was at the point where it was like, it's happening. So there was this little, um, again, like a little rock wall. And I jumped up the rock wall and went into this tiny little bush area and went behind a tree. Like there was not a lot of coverage or anything. And I whipped out my pants and did my business and was like sweating and like, you know, freaking out. And as I was doing this, I looked up and there was a little tent and there was a man. I assume he was homeless and he was uh, sitting in his tent watching me take a deuce. <laughs> and uh, that was another great moment in time for me. And I said, how's it going? Great day. <laughs> And continued on because at that stage, what else are you supposed to do really, right? No, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know what you did about TP. And I'm 
Are you repulsed by me right now? Like, okay, no, this no, is a, not at all. This is a good question because. Um, oh wait, well, I shouldn't say not at all. Uh, moderately. No. Okay, that's good to know. Things happen. <laughs> you will accept my poo stories, and you will laugh at them, and you no, will. <laughs> no, no, no! I love it. I love it. I hope that other people that that listen to this will, you know, been through the same situation and never talked about it will will know that it's not just them. <laughs> Or they'll immediately be repulsed and be like, I cannot. But I'm trying to break barriers here right now because I do think it's like, you know, guys tell these disgusting stories all the time. And if a girl tells it, it's like, ew, I can't believe Jenna talked about two deuce times. Like, first of all, we don't even poo. (laughs) And secondly, she's gross. I can't wait to see the next reviews. That's what they're going to say. Jenna's disgusting. Some people weren't made for podcasting because they just poop too much. (laughs) (laughs) People who poo shouldn't podcast. Just a heads Uh, up. Our girl said, "Uh, some people aren't made for podcasting. That's why I don't have a podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thanks for the the intel. That was riveting information oh my know. gosh i know it was amazing uh, you know ever ever no, since meant- then we've been improving okay. <laughs> yeah we'll show you we'll show you who's show meant you. for podcasting right we're on three yeah we're on three and actually <laughs> no one can stop us even if no one listened we could still do this just ahead I mean, we're up. gonna talk anyway yeah <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe the stories would be different. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the stories. These are fresh. These are definitely fresh stories. I haven't heard them before. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty awesome. It's good oh, to know. Okay, wait. So I'm going to segue now because I did segue out into, because you were like, please, please tell me the poo story. So I did. Because you were like, really wanting to hear that. I don't know why. That's just kind of gross on your part, Josh. But um, the other story was about my dad and a funeral and <laughs> so my dad and I go to this funeral and um, I'm not going to say who it was, but it was somebody closer to him and it was somebody who I wasn't close to, um, but I went anyway and I feel very uncomfortable at funerals. Like I think a lot of people do, especially if you don't really know the person that well. And I started uh, sobbing uncontrollably and everyone was looking at me like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you were so close to her. And uh, I was like, I- I'm not. I- I'm just really affected by the darkness of funerals. <laughs> and, and I was looking at my dad and I started to kind of panic like, dad, oh, my God, I'm freaking out. Like, I'm in, I'm mortified that I'm crying this much. Like, it was like the um, the uh, the priest was like, you know, doing his thing and uh, it talking about the deceased and I was like (gasps) like this and it was just like you know that's obviously mortifying because everyone's like who the fuck even is that girl and um it's just me I just cry at very inappropriate times but that was one time that my dad was actually quite supportive and uh so as I was crying he didn't uh he didn't empathize with me but he did shove his face full with um the buffet and just say who cares? Just like eat the food and like get over it. <laughs> and that kind of worked. It helped subtly. I'm glad it helped. Yeah. It seems very, seems like a sweetheart. <laughs> loving, very loving. <laughs> very, very loving. Jenna. 
Tell me another story, please. Okay, so I do have this good story. So okay. um, another time, my sister and I, as adults, um, we were out at uh, camp <laughs> again. And my dad had this way, he was a really intelligent guy, but he'd always um, kind of drift off in his own thoughts. And so you could he could be in the room with you, but he would be very much consumed with his own thoughts. And they were usually like existential thoughts or... Um, usually existential thoughts. And um, so he was in his own world doing that. And my sister and I had smoked a joint and we started eating this bag of chips. <laughs> and we were like, now you do it where you're really an annoying eater. So she'd like take a bite of, of the chips and be like, and then I'd be like, oh my God, you're so annoying. And then I'd punch the bag and then she'd be like, now you do it and be really annoying. And then I'd do that and be annoying. And then we did that for like probably what seemed like maybe 20 minutes, but long enough to like pull my dad out of his own brain. And he looked over at us and he was like, what the fuck is so funny? And what the fuck smells like skunks? <laughs> and then we laughed and laughed and laughed because he was in his own head and he was sitting there the whole time. And one didn't notice that we had smoked a joint and two didn't catch on to any of the humor of, of what we were doing. But I guess he wouldn't because he hadn't smoked the joint with us. And it was really <laughs> stupid lowbrow humor. Sometimes that helps. Sometimes that does help. Well, Josh, so I'm going to do something weird. Well, not weird, but different than what we've done normally. And um, I'm going to end our our um, recording session. And I'm going to record something just myself. And then I'm going to send it to you and have you listen to it and piece it together with the rest of our discussion. And the main reason is because I've had enough of you today and I can't stand to listen to you breathe anymore. <laughs> just oh, kidding. You sound like every woman in my life. <laughs> no, the reason is you will soon find out. And um, that's all I'm going to say about that. It's just a little bit of a special moment I need to uh, touch upon. And I can't do it with you listening because if I cry, you'll freak out because you're a man and you'll tell me to stop. Right? Because that's what men do. Yeah, exactly. Get <laughs> your emotions in order, girl. Yeah. Um, so if that's okay with you, we'll um, stop now. But uh, you'll soon be listening to what I have to say next. The stories I told Josh about my dad, I wanted to include in this podcast just because my dad was a very special guy to me um, as most fathers are to their children. Um, I think most kids want to impress their fathers and mothers and make them proud. And I hope that I did that with my dad. Um, as some of you know, my dad did pass away. And when he first got sick, he was in the hospital. And I laughed before about him not being comfortable with seeing my sister or I cry or any other woman for that matter. Um, but when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, he definitely cried. And um, if any of you have seen your parents cry, it's a harrowing experience and you don't know quite what to do because the person who's supposed to take care of you suddenly needs you to take care of them. And some of the things my dad said um, in his frantic state, because I think he when he got his diagnosis, he thought, oh, oh my God, I'm going to die within seconds. <laughs> he said to me, you know, don't, 
don't fuck around with any mama's boys, bitches who still need their laundry done. And don't waste time being unhappy with people that don't make you happy in return. Those two things I remember. Um, he did go to a hospice shortly after um, because the cancer was so bad. And I wrote this little thing for him that I'd like to read you now. Dear Dad, you died on December 2nd, 2014. Lauren and I were with you, sitting on opposite couches, waiting. You woke up every morning in the month that you were in the hospice, looking around, and then would say, fuck, I'm still here. We knew you were gone within minutes because your breathing had been the background music to every moment we were there. A song we were waiting to hear stop. There was nothing grandiose about your death, you just stopped breathing. Lauren and I sobbed, called the nurse, who confirmed in a casual tone, Yep, he's gone. Thank you, nurse. Without you being here, I would have assumed he was still alive, but had just figured out a futuristic way of breathing without us even hearing it. We called your your siblings. They came, cried, hugged, and left. And then Lauren and I cried some more and then left you there. After all, you were just a body now. Where was the man that made me laugh my whole life? Where was the man who challenged me, who told me off when I was being a brat, who irritated me with his incessant repetitive actions, his unwillingness to attempt to understand technology? Where was the man who was going to walk me down the aisle when I got married? Okay, that was never going to happen, but still. Where the fuck did you go? You once said to me, you were a little shit, but that was the fun of it. The next day I called the hospice to pick up your things, your art easel and painting supplies, your stinky clothes that would be tossed away. I arrived at the hospice and the woman at reception looked guilty. She informed me that the funeral home had not yet come to get you, so you were in your room still. No problem, I became this crisis master and it felt like I was able to take the reins of all of this. Perhaps because I had no choice. Six years later, I'm a puddle as I write this. I went into the room. I wasn't shocked. You were just the body we left. But your face, your face, I wanted it to move and tell me it was going to be okay. I cried again and hurried on my way so I could get the fuck out of there. I touched your arm. I said sorry. I touched your dry as fuck hand and was annoyed that you didn't use moisturizer more regularly like I told you to. I guess nothing prepares you for seeing a deceased person. Nothing can be done. No one can help you. I wanted a hug, but there was no one to hug me. I wanted a hug from my dad, and I walked out of that room quickly knowing I could never have that again. Walking out of the hospice, I couldn't make eye contact with the lovely nurses, and they were lovely. I had seen every day for a month. I think I nodded my head and said something like, Cheerio, good chaps and ma'ams, or something weird and obscure that would make them shake their heads with wonder, and I left. I left those doors in the freezing cold winter of northern Ontario, got in my car, and sobbed all the way home. Two funny stories came out of your time in the hospice and when we scattered your ashes, and you better believe I'm going to tell those to you now in the hopes that, let's be honest, mostly me can end this podcast with the type of humor that you and I lived for. When my dad was in the hospice, his deterioration started to happen quite quickly. It took him a month to pass, and he was as strong as a bull because the cancer was literally everywhere. I don't think he wanted to last that long, knowing he was done for, but such is life. Torturous at times, isn't it? 
One day, he was struggling to breathe, so they fixed him up with an air mask. He had just placed the tubes in his nostrils and began calmly breathing. When I looked at my sister from across the room and mouthed the words, I need to toot, fart for you savages. She motioned for me to go get the fuck out of the room. I crossed the room and in doing so, crop dusted my dying dad, sending my fart waves directly into his breathing tubes. The old man's eyes darted open. He screeched with horror. This gas mask stinks like shit! Lauren and I proceeded to laugh with a mix of horror and humor. It was, after all, the perfect storm. He immediately demanded to know what was so funny. Lauren told him I had passed gas but was trying to get out of the room as quickly as possible. He was repulsed, angry, and shot me a look that suggested he was happier to be dying so that he would no longer have to deal with the likes of me. The second story occurred after you had already passed. He was to be cremated, and when he was alive, I had asked him his burial wishes. He was drunk at the time when he answered my question and said, Don't stress so much. What the fuck's your problem? You go to the crematorium and tell them to burn the fucker. Then he laughed as he shot back another mouthful of Malbec, laughing at a comedic skit my sister was performing at the time. I was mortified and tried to pull back my tears. When he did pass, I did go to the crematorium, and I told the lady what he had told me to say, to burn the fucker. She at first looked perplexed and horrified, but I explained it was his humor, and we both laughed. Life is a giant mess at times of sadness, pure joy, desperation, angst, but in this moment, a horrible thing was made a little bit comical. Lauren and I had discussed taking his ashes to the lake and spreading them there. We paddled out by canoe to a nice spot. My sister was emotional that day, and we waited some time before she was ready to let the ashes go. We sat in the canoe, calmly reflecting upon our time with our father, and suddenly my sister panicked. She hears something in the bush that sounds like a moose or a bear, she screams. What do we do? What do we do? The two of us jump out of the canoe into the water. I have no idea why. And I shout, what do we do now? And she says, dump the ashes quick. Let's push back the canoe. So I dump the ashes. And just when I dump the ashes, a gust of wind blows everything into our faces. And we literally shout that we are eating our father. The two of us burst into hysterical tears mixed with laughter and know that it is a time that my dad would have thought was hilarious. And somewhere up there, he was watching, telling us to move the fuck on and get it over with. I love you, Dad, for everything that you taught me. I hope that we can all cherish our parents. And the one thing I learned most from my dad and what he said on his deathbed was, make people laugh. That's the only thing that's going to get you through this mess. And that's what I hope to do. With a little bit of tears. (laughs) I love you, Dad. (laughs) 